Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is San Diego Wave head coach Casey Stoney. Before we get going, you can sign up free or paid for a subscription to my writing site at grantwall.com. We're just starting year two, and I have big plans to cover men's and women's World Cups in the next 12 months. That's grantwall.com. Now, here's my interview with Casey Stoney. Our guest now is San Diego Wave head coach Casey Stoney, whose NWSL expansion team is atop the league standings and just set an NWSL record for a crowd at a game with 32,000 people in a 1-0 win over Angel City. Casey, congratulations on everything you're doing, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. So we're speaking a few days after your big crowd and your big win over Angel City. What stands out to you the most about that night? Well, I said it post-match in, in my press conference and, you know, I'm, I'm still probably, you know, coming to terms with it. You know, I've been in, involved in the game a long time. I played for England for 18 years, played for many clubs and I never even dared to dream that we'd have a night where we would walk out as a women's only soccer team club and attract 32,000 all there to watch the team and get behind the team in here in San Diego so it was um, years and years and years of dreaming Um, but I I didn't think it would be possible and I said it then you know back in England we rely on the history of the the men's clubs that we're attached to and their badges so the Man United's the Arsenal's the Chelsea's to be able to do what this club has done in such a short space of time and attract you know 32,000 to to the opening game at Snapdragon was absolutely incredible and it just shows the thirst here um, for women's soccer and what women's soccer can do and the potential that it has. So, yeah, I wasn't pleased with our performance, but I was pleased with the win and I was um, massively pleased with, 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 the, with the evening itself and the way that the fans got behind the team. You know, traditionally in American sports, not just soccer, expansion teams in their first season are not supposed to be very good. And your team has been good. How have you approached getting your team to play and win in this first season? Well, yeah, first of all, everybody told me that going into to the regular season that, you know, the expectations were low and that historically expansion teams hadn't done well. And I just, I don't believe in that. I just think it's, you know, I thought we set about getting a very good roster to start with. So, you know, I think as a club, the general manager, Molly Downton, done a great job. And obviously having Jill Ellis involved in her connections, I thought we managed to get you know, a very good roster. We still have a very young team. You know, we have nine rookies in our squad, which is a lot. Um, But I think you set about, if you set the right culture, the right standards, you get people to believe in what you're doing, your your vision and where you want to go. And, you know, we're very lucky. We've got an Alex Morgan that's in tremendous form as well. And, you know, we've got an incredible goalkeeper and, and a fantastic roster. So, no, I don't. People can tell you all they want that you, you can't do well, but if you put the work in, you do the work every single day, which my players do and my staff do. You know, anything is possible, but this league is so tight, it's absolutely crazy that you can be kind of near the top or at the top all season, two games to go, and you could even fall out of the playoffs. That just shows how competitive it is. Well, that was going to be my next question. Everything is so tight at the top of the league right now. You've got six teams within four points of each other. Have you ever seen anything like this at the end of a league season? Never, never. You know, and I speak to some of the coaches in the league as well. And, 
it's just the most competitive and that's obviously a, a, a massive selling point here is the parity part and how equal it is and you know you look at the end of the season and you've worked so hard and you've you've you know we've lost more games than I would have liked I'd like us to be a little bit more comfortable where we are now but I have to be patient with the fact that we're an expansion team we're going to hit road bumps and we're going to have challenges but to come to this point in the season and it be so tight it's incredible for the fans and the neutrals. As a head coach, I'm not a fan of it because I'd rather be far more comfortable. Here in the United States, we decide the league champion with playoffs. How do you feel about that, given your history? And what are the key areas for your team to be in top form for the playoffs? Yeah, obviously, it's very different for me. Normally, you go for a season. If you've won the most games, you win the league, you know, and it's um, it's different that you go for all, that, all of that and then you have to go again. Um, but it's a huge part of the culture here. It's a huge part of the history here is the playoffs. And you want to go into it with some momentum. I think, you know, obviously we have to manage. We've got a, a tough away away trip now against Orlando. And then five days later, we play North Carolina. So, you know, we want to try and finish as high up the table as we can. Um, I think that's important as high up the standings. Um, and then we need to see what happens because, you know, we can't predict what to, what who we're going to get. Ideally, if we finish in the top two, it would be great because then you, you, you obviously miss the quarterfinals and go straight to the semifinals. But having said that, we will face whatever comes our way. We'll plan accordingly based on the opposition that we get. And we know pretty much now we're capable of beating anybody on our day. You know, if we can execute our game plan and get it right and the, the players execute, we can, we're capable of winning any game. I want to take a bit of a step back and... Just ask, why did you want to come to the NWSL? You had obviously coached Manchester United. This was a, a big move distance-wise and, and a different league. Well, yeah, firstly, obviously, I was out of work having resigned at Manchester United. But when Jill phoned me about this opportunity, I think there was so many reasons to look deeper into it. Um, one was the biggest factor for me was that we were going to be a women's only soccer team, not reliant on anyone else. And I've lived my entire career, I would say, I, I call it living in the shadows, but it's not, it's, it's not even living in the shadows. It's being, you know, being almost fourth, fifth, sixth best at times. So you can't use the gym because, you know, the under 15s are in there. Or you can't use that pitch because the under 12 boys are training on it. Or, you know, and you were always, you always felt like, you had to fight for absolutely everything that you wanted on the basic needs for a team. Um, and I felt that as a player, I felt that as a coach. And to come here and have a team solely dedicated to its players, to be able to support, guide, you know, and, and give the, the players what they need to be able to perform was the biggest reason I came. I've got to be really honest, Grant, I had to look up where San Diego was on the map because I had <laughs> my geography of America was terrible. And then I realised it's right over the other side. It's an eight-hour time difference. Um, and obviously it was, it was a life choice as well for my family and my, um, my children as well, hearing about San Diego as a, as a place. It would be an incredible change for us. Uh, and also as a, as a coach, I wanted to challenge myself in a different league. I wanted to come and see if I could adapt to what my style was in England and, and try and bring a little bit of what I can do there here, knowing that it's a very different league, that it is very transitional, that, you know, the players here would rather lose trying to win, you know, which is a different mindset mm -hmm. than, 
you know, in England, we would always, you know, take a point if it's available. So, yeah, it's been a, a massive education. Obviously, it's come with its challenges because of visa issues. My family aren't here and haven't been here since I've been here. So that's probably been the hardest type of thing I've ever had to do is live without them. Um, but I think in those times and these challenges, it helps me grow as a person. And it's certainly helped me grow as a coach because, you know, one of the things I did here coming over here was that the players aren't coachable, they're entitled and all of these nonsense statements that I can absolutely say are not true. They are so coachable. They're unbelievable at wanting to learn and wanting to do better. Um, and they just want to win. You know, they are absolute competitors and it's a privilege to work with them every day. I'm sorry you're having to deal with visa issues for your family. I, I wasn't aware of that. Is that something that you're hoping to clear up before too long? Yeah, it's solved now. Now they now have the visas. Now it's can we find a house and a school? Um, because you know, I, I I moved over myself, so I didn't bother getting a big house. It didn't it was didn't make financial sense to do that. So now it's about looking for a house that's suitable because there's five of us um, and get them in the right school because it's a huge change, culture change. You know, I was I could be really honest when I first landed in San Diego, it's I was overwhelmed and I had moments where I was like, what have I done? Um, but as soon as I got into the job, I was, I was very motivated to do what I, what I came to do. And, you know, I just want to make sure it's right for my family now and that they can settle and they can be with me because it's kind of, it's the biggest challenge it really is. And especially with an eight hour time difference, you know, come 2 p.m. most days, I don't, you know, I go home and I don't really have many people to, to communicate with because they're all asleep in bed. So it's been a challenge, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm very motivated by the job that I'm doing. How would you describe your coaching philosophy? Uh, my coaching philosophy is about people. Um, you know, and it's about, yes, imparting your knowledge, but it's how you impart your knowledge onto the people that are in your room. Do you know your people? Do you know, do you build relationships enough that you can have those difficult conversations, that you can be open and honest and that you can add value no matter whether they're number one or number 26 on your roster, it doesn't matter, you know, and... And my coaching philosophy is about humility and the ability to own your own mistakes. And I, I try to role model that all the time because I'm not perfect. I am human. I do get things wrong and I own it with my players, alongside my players. And I want them to have a voice and empower them in my environment. And, you know, and, and also I'm very much about standards. You know, I always say that the thing that you're prepared to walk past is the standard you're willing to accept. And I, I am... I'm very high on my standards. I won't accept, you know, sloppy standards. And But at the same time, I want to create an environment that's safe, fun, empowering, engaging um, and developmental because every single one of my players still wants to develop. The minute they, they stop learning and want to develop is the day that they should hang their boots up. So, yeah, it's about my coaching philosophy is about relationships and value um, and, and continue to grow that. You mentioned Jill Ellis obviously won two World Cups as a coach with the U.S. team. What's your working relationship like with Jill? What aspects of the job is she involved in? How much communication do you have with her? Well, Jill's obviously the president, so she's been heavily focused on setting the business up, you know, and getting the marketing, the sponsorship, the ticketing, you know, getting that that side of things um, in the place where she wants it. Um, she She's pretty good at leaving me alone. Um, she's there if I need her, if I want her knowledge. And, you know, obviously Jill's worked with international teams. I've worked with a club. So I've done this job before. I've done a startup. I've done building a club from the ground up. So, you know, I trust myself 
if I need Jill, she's there, um, and and she pretty much leaves me to get on with what I want to what I want to get on with. And obviously, she's done a fantastic job at driving this club forward, making sure we've got the right people in the right departments to be able to you know host a sellout, you know, eight months into our existence. So yeah, she's she's doing a great job at a very different role for her. You know, I'd say being a president is a very different role for her, but she's doing doing great what she's doing. I was in Wembley to see England win the Euros at the end of July. It was an incredible scene. Really enjoyed following that tournament. What was that like for you to watch that? Um, honestly, very, very, very emotional. Um, we were actually, we'd played Chicago the night before and we were actually on a plane and the whole week my team admin was panicking because she didn't know if we had TVs on the plane and I was like, I'm not getting on the plane if if we haven't got TVs and... I've always said, like, I'll always travel with my players. I'll always do the same thing my players do. But so, you know, there was quite a few cheers um, when I was on the plane. And obviously, Jodie Taylor was on the plane. Cully Telford were on the plane. We've all played for England as well. So, you know, and obviously we've got a German player as well. So there's a little bit of rivalry there. But, um, yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I just, when the final whistle went, I just remember crying my eyes out. And, like, I wasn't embarrassed about my emotion either because I'm like... I gave 18 years of my life and my entire life has been about growing the game in England and trying to make it better. And I I knew when I was playing that we missed so many opportunities to change the game. And by England doing what they did, I don't think they just changed the game. They've changed a little bit of society too in England for women. And obviously I've got two daughters now and I've got a little boy and I just want them to be able to grow up knowing that they are his equal. And I think what those women did on that day kind of transcends into society and I was just so massively proud of what they achieved and what they've done for not only women's football but women. Yeah I mean I covered 99 here in the United States and I did make that comparison it felt it wasn't maybe exactly the same but there were some similarities it felt like to me between what happened in 1999 here in the United States and what happened in England with women's soccer sort of transcending the sport this summer Am I going over the top with that comparison? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think, you know, it changes. The, <clears throat> the narrative has changed. The conversation's changed. You know, little boys are now watching the women's game and we're putting their names on the back of their shirts. And, you know, even the the audiences, unfortunately, the, obviously the opening weekend of the Barclays WSL didn't go ahead because of, obviously, the, the Queen's parting. But... I think you look at the ticket sales and the attendances and what it's doing there, it's how you continue to capture that, how you continue to do the work in the wet winter months to keep these people coming back, how sponsors want to stay on board, not just jump on board for a major tournament and how you continue to get investment at the top and also at the grassroots level too because you know what I've seen here in America is the depth and the pool of talent at the, the youth age groups is absolutely phenomenal. Now, we don't have that in England and there's still an attitude of it's a man's sport and it's a, you know, you shouldn't be playing and girls don't play football. And I think what those women did in the Euros has changed that conversation and changed that narrative. Not for everyone, because you're going to always have some small-minded people that believe it's their sport and that women shouldn't be playing it. But at the same time, I do think it went a long way towards that. And hopefully more little girls will now pick up a ball and play. More dads will encourage their little girls to play more male PE teachers will it be actually say, no, we need a, a, a girls team as well as a boys team. And even, you know, mums will will change their perceptions because, you know, I've heard mum, well, my little girl's not playing football. And I'm like, well, 
you know it's it's sport and sport should be for all so i think what they've done is a is huge in our country on october 7th wembley will be filled again this time for a game between England and the U.S. women's national team, a friendly that I think sold out in 24 hours. What do you think about a this sort of budding rivalry between England and the United States? What are your thoughts about this game and, and looking ahead to the World Cup next year when they could meet again? I think it's so exciting. I'm excited to see this game because, if I'm honest, I don't think the U.S. have played a team that's tested them in, in some time. Um, and England will certainly test them. You know, it'll be a test of their how tactically good they are, how physically. You know, I think historically, when I've played against America, sometimes you just felt like there was twelve or thirteen players because athletically they were so far, far more far advanced than we were. Uh, I know we beat them in two thousand and eleven um, when we played them on home soil in a friendly. I think it was two one. I think Alex Morgan was just coming on the scene at that point. And then since then, they've been really competitive tight games. You know, they've been really, even the She Believes and obviously in the World Cup and they've been really competitive. But I think this England team has gone to another level now. So I'm really intrigued to see that battle in October, see how it plays out, um, see the key battles in the areas. Because I think also what England haven't faced is a front line like America have got with the speed, the athleticism, the movement, you know, the ability to score goals. But also America haven't faced... England and how tactically good they are and how they can score goals and how they can open teams up. So I think it's going to be a fascinating battle. It's one I'm really looking forward to. Um, and obviously a sold-out Wembley is, is going to be an incredible occasion. San Diego Wave head coach Casey Stoney has her team atop the NWSL standings. Casey, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Casey Stoney as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.